Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 7th of March. You're on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. It's the day before um, International Women's Day and that's what our interview is going to be about. But um, before we get on to that, um, welcome to another program of Asia Pacific Currents brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Yes, that's right. Those details, please, Pierre. That's right. Well, it's on your favourite community radio station, but if you'd like to contact uh, AWL, Giselle. <laughs> well, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. You can also email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms and we continue to share news and information about the, la- the struggle of labour movements across the Asia-Pacific region. And, um, of course, thanks to um, Annie uh, and uh, Solidarity Breakfast for another very interesting program. And um, the music uh, you were listening was by Wurabinda singing Outside My Window. Not that we've got a window out here, but we can always, we, we can see the other studio from here, but that's about it. And of course, today we are both celebrating and remembering the continuation of the struggle of women workers right across the world. Um, International Women's Day is tomorrow in, uh, in Melbourne, Victoria. We marched yesterday to further that struggle and right across the world, people will be marching today and tomorrow and next week. So our solidarity with those women workers and with all in struggle for women's liberation. Our interview today is with Zoe Zhao. Zoe is a sociology student working on issues of gender, digital labour and transnational social movements. She's volunteered for several NGOs and social movement networks in China and the US and um, she will be talking to us today about the um, struggles against capitalist authoritarianism and imperialism and the state of the women's struggle in China, including the Me Too movement. Sounds um, very interesting, Ladies, uh, I look forward to it. So that'll be probably around quarter past uh, nine o'clock, but we'll go to our mini news stories and the first one. We go to West Asia, where the last few weeks have seen a renewed conflict between the forces of Turkey and Syria in the contested region of Idlib, even though overnight um, there's been a ceasefire agreed. Now, this fighting has generated a new wave of refugees desperate to flee to um, safer zones. In an attempt to force the European Union to help it, Turkey then allowed these refugees to use its territory to um, cross into Greece. 
Unfortunately, these refugees were then met with a militarised response by the Greek government. At least one refugee was killed by the Greek police or military, while fascist forces have roamed the streets and seas of the Greek islands targeting refugees and humanitarian workers. And I think um, if I read the last report right, there's about 100,000 refugees stranded between Turkey and Greece with military on both sides. It it's, uh, renders you speechless. It's it just a disgraceful yeah, way to treat unarmed pe- refugees escaping. That's right. In the Philippines, at the end of February, Philippines Airlines announced that they were going to lay off around 300 workers due to the impact uh, that COVID-19 virus was having on travel around the world. The company has had a history of anti-worker and anti-union activities and has many of its workers employed by subcontracting companies. Unions see these layoffs as an excuse by the company to weaken the workforce and increase precarious work conditions at the company. The union, as well as the Philippines government, believes that if the COVID-19 was having such an effect, then many other measures could have been put into place before instituting any layoffs. Of course, the company is using COVID-19 as cover for its continued union busting and our workforce destruction policies. Um, Giselle, I was trying to remember... When was that when we did the huge campaign? 2012. 2012, 2012 yeah, So that's eight years ago. How time flies, but issues don't change. We now go to Iraq, where last Sunday, the newly designated Iraqi Prime Minister, Mohammed Alawi, withdrew his candidacy to uh, become a Prime Minister, stating that there was no agreement among the parliamentarians for the establishment of a new government. Now, his candidacy was supposed to be the compromise choice between the various political parties and act as a circuit breaker to the political chaos that is engulfing that country. His candidacy had been opposed from the start by the mass protest on the streets of Iraqi cities as um, representing just another corrupt and inept politician. The demonstrators have now absorbed and recovered from the recent attacks of the Sadrist militias of last month, belonging to the Shia cleric um, Muqtada al-Sadr, and are continuing to develop their actions and demands. So a space to watch. And in Turkey in the last few weeks, arrests against government's opponents has continued unabated. On the 11th of February in the city of Agri in eastern Turkey, police detained the branch president of DISC, which is the Confederation of Progressive Labor Unions of Turkey. In another raid... Uh, there was another detaining of the co-president of the HDP opposition party with a number of others who were later detained that day. A week later, Turkish prosecutors ordered the arrest of nearly 700 people located across Turkey for their involvement in the failed military coup of 2016. This week, two journalists with the media outlet Oda TV were arrested in Istanbul after writing a story about the involvement of Turkish forces in the war in Libya. Absolute state of repression in Turkey under a military dictatorship where opposition forces are being arrested. A very serious uh, situation there. It is. It is. 
And now we, we go to Thailand where there is a glimmer of hope. The, uh, um, the, the registration of the future forward party on the 21st of February by the, um, by the government of Thailand, which was really the ex-military junta, has created a spark for rallies throughout Thailand to protest um, against this military-led government. Students have been at the forefront of these daily rallies, but attendance has always included many more people. While the main demand is for the restoration of the Future Forward Party, there is an increasingly anti-government groundswell um, in these protests. The government has so far not taken steps to repress the movement using one of the many repressive pieces of legislation at its disposal. For the time being, it seems that the government is hoping that the protests will run out of energy, although in the last few days it has tried to co-opt part of the movement by seeking to ask the students' opinions on how best to amend the constitution, which, of course, I'm sure the process would never finish. Uh, and nor would they listen to them is the other important right. part of that. Do we that. detect some cynicism in here? Uh, in Hong Kong, <clears throat> uh, Gui Minh Hai uh, was a relatively obscure small publisher and bookseller in Hong Kong when he suddenly disappeared along with four others over a short period in 2015. Later in 2015, he reappeared in Chinese TV, making a confession to various crimes which he was convicted for two years. He was released in 2017, but in 2018, on the way to Sweden, Min Hai, uh, Min Hai is a dual Swedish-Chinese national, he was rearrested again on national security grounds. On February 24, Gui Min Hai was sentenced to 10 years in jail for illegally providing intelligence overseas. There was no evidence of this presented in court and human rights observers believe that his arrest and sentencing is due to him having published and sold books that were critical of the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. So now we're looking at those very uh, three, one after the other, situations where repression is uh, taking the form of basically eliminating the opposition and any um, criticism. That's right, and any of the, the smallest kind, really. And uh, unfortunately, we go to another country where uh, there's a repression. We go to Myanmar. Now, the um, national, election, national elections are due to be held in the second half of this year. And amid growing dissatisfaction with the ongoing economic weakness and continued armed conflicts all around the country, there's an ever-growing atmosphere of repression. Political activists that organise actions against uh, the government are routinely arrested. Journalists are often detained for publishing investigative stories on the wrongdoings of the government and military, while the conflicts with a variety of ethnic groups are increasingly being militarised. In addition to facing a hostile environment in which to organise in, workers in Myanmar face constant wage pressures and factory closures. And um, just as a reflection of how bad things are, up to 5 million workers are forced to work overseas to survive. So again, unfortunately, um, not a, a good situation. And, uh, and the latest I heard that um, again, COVID-19 has been used by factories as a way not only to um, sack workers, but to say that wage increases should not be passed on. Funny about that, Giselle? Indeed. It is 12 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents, and we're going to go to some community announcements and then back with our interview with Zoe Zhao. 
I have my tongue, 500 languages I would sing to you. This is Monica Jasmine Caro. I'm a proud Gunai Kurnai, Gunishmara, and Mukjai Wait woman. I'm a spoken word poet, actor, and musician, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio. And I love community radio because it is about representation and accessibility for all peoples of all walks of life. And I must have a home somewhere I belong. The 8th of March is International Women's Day uh, and, of course, an opportunity to remember how much we've won um, over the period of struggle for women's rights and women's emancipation, but, of course, absolutely to remember that there is still a long way to go, not just for the liberation of women, but um, for all working-class peoples across the world. To uh, look at that and actually confront the size of the battle and struggle in front of us, Zoe Zhao talks about um, <clears throat> capitalist authoritarianism and imperialism in China as well as the state of the women's struggles. Zoe is a sociology student working on issues of gender, digital labour and transnational social movements um, in China and the U.S., so struggles against capitalist authoritarianism in China is generally, I would say, in a very difficult stage, both in terms of the heightened state repression and also the grassroots ideological struggles within the civil society. Uh, first, I want to mention, although China could be seen as a capitalist authoritarian regime by most leftists internationally, it is far from the consensus and the general sentiment for activists and political dissidents, let alone the vast majority of Chinese citizens. Uh, it is obvious because the Chinese Communist Party has long monopolized the interpretation and also the education of Marxism, Leninism, and there are various derivative thoughts. So we could lampoon the party for promoting sham Marxism, Marxism, but it's not possible to let a party change its name and its performativity. So most activists, especially the older generation, I would say, uh, many of them will have an anti-authoritarianism, but also strong pro-capitalism, pro-use U.S., imperialism, anti-communism, and socialism positions. So the pro-capitalism tendency actually serves as a very strong momentum for the old generation to engage in various anti-regime and social justice activism, because to them, the crux of the matter lies in the fact that the Chinese economy and society is not as free and as neoliberal as that in the Western countries. So in their projection, many social problems will just magically disappear once China mimics the US and European models. So anti-communist and socialism positions and their like sentiments function as a kind of rally call for different groups to oppose a regime that rebrands itself as a vanguard of socialism in face of imperialist forces and foreign intervention. So I would say this is a pretty intuitive and also somewhat attractive in ideological stance. Uh, so under this background, it is quite difficult for anti-establishment left to gain social attention and uh, popularity. But meanwhile, generational replacement might transform the patterns of the younger generation, most of them born on 
or after the 1989 Tiananmen protests, has much more critical take on capitalism as well as a more intersectional approach towards various social justice issues, which is conspicuously lacking, I would say, in the older generations I just mentioned. So these younger activists grew up in an expanding market economy coupled with rising social inequality. So they're generally more aware of the exploitation on the working class and the continuous ignorance of women's reproductive labor as the engine for state capitalism. They also have more direct exposure to social justice issues in other countries and have a more transnational understanding and intersectional understanding of a lot of gender, labor, and racial issues. In addition, women and LGBTQ members are also much more representative in the activist and NGO realms, with many also being the key leaders and organizers. So this generational change is also a crystal reflection of the ongoing transformation of the ideological field. Uh, for example, 10 years ago, which is around 2008, uh, Sichuan and inner province of China just experienced a massive earthquake. And then during the summer, Beijing held its Olympics. And at the end of the year, there's an important manifesto uh, called Charter 08, which is based on a strong liberalism idea and it actually won 13,000 signatures. So within the anti-establishment camp, liberalism was the hegemony at that time, and left-wing ideologies was assumed to be pro-regime, at least on the internet. So there was a general sense of optimism about the society moving towards an open direction with even simulating hopes of political reforms. So 2008 is also a turning point for a lot of younger generation activists, including myself, to first become interested in talking and doing research on social political issues. It is actually also a very important turning point for capitalism in China, I would say, because in response to the global financial crisis, it started massive expansion of infrastructure and investments. I remember David Harvey once provided the statistics that China has consumed more cement in the years following 2008 than the U.S. has consumed in the whole 100 years in the 20th century. So this huge investment in infrastructure built on the brutal exploitation of migrant laborers, which could be visible seen in almost every construction site. So the ways the Communist Party handles the global financial crisis in increase its infrastructure power as it's reflected in its heightened social control over both the local politics and grassroots contem uh, contentious politics. And also you generally see the rise of a big data surveillance states since 2008. So currently there's much more ideological diversity in the public discourses. For example, the liberalism ideas is gradually losing much ground despite its continuous presence, but it generally could not respond to many imminent questions and are also subject to more direct and overt uh, state repression. There's indeed more room and discussion on feminism, LGBTQ and labor issues, and occasionally some anti-capitalist positions could also be articulated in public debates. At the same time, however, I would say, such progress also risks being offset by a huge uptake of gendering or state-sponsored nationalistic discourses, as it also documented by a lot of academic studies already. Uh, moreover, 
or anti-establishment forces uh, ranging from radical leftists, Maoists, Trotskyists, anarchists, to conservative Christian rights groups who oppose women's liberation and LGBTQ rights, labor and feminist networks alike, or gradually lose their offline organization basis because a lot of NGOs were closed and activists were jailed illegally. So these discriminative attacks on all civil society groups haven't yet provided enough momentum to build a large alliance between different types of movement at this stage. So this is just a very brief outline of the pattern of struggles, but in reality, the dynamics could be much more complicated. There are groups that remain active and various efforts have been made by the diaspora to establish some network overseas. So one or at the same time add four small points to supplement the major trends that I just mentioned. So first of all, uh, the trends I just mentioned built on the assumption that activists and social movement organizations are crucial channel through which to organize struggles against capitalist authoritarianism. But such premise might not hold water. For example, during the past two or three years, you see more white class strikes that was not organized by any labor NGOs, labor activists, but by radicalized workers themselves. So in addition, with the uberization of the economy and the rise of the precarious laborers, um, the whole labor and reproductive regimes, I would say, have been transformed into very new configurations, sometimes uh, beyond the existing knowledge and experiences of uh, the con activists. So I think, on the other hand, we activists need to learn from emergent struggles rather than vice versa. And second, we could, couldn't simply draw a hasty conclusion that there's a clear cut boundary between the old and young generations I just mentioned. There are still collaborations between them, though many are not widely known outside of the circle. The old generation has left, I would say, still very valuable resources for the younger cohort to learn and continue the fights. And third, uh, the Chinese government is extremely uh, good at using anti-imperialist discourse to fend off domestic social movements. So many grassroots activism were interpreted as, for example, CIA and NED backed to deprive their legitimacy and agency. So what makes it worth, I think, that quite a few leftist organizations uh, in the Western countries, I won't name them uh, personally here, but they basically take quite progressive positions in a lot of social issues within the Western society, but they essentially also backed the Chinese government using the same rhetoric. So in fact, if there were English translations, I would say of many Chinese state-sponsored propaganda articles, they could just be inserted into the social media posts of some left-wing organizations without any revision. So I think this is also a worrying phenomenon that the international left should definitely have a critical intervention. Uh, and finally, I want to mention a little bit about a positive change in people's perception of censorship. Uh, despite increasingly sophisticated surveillance, uh, the general public nowadays have an increased awareness of data security and privacy protection. So more people are shifting to encrypted softwares or proactively use free archival tools to back up information on sensor platforms. So you could find dozens of, of decentralized anti-censorship projects running on platforms such as GitHub, especially during the coronavirus 
outbreak recently. But still, citizens are facing an uphill battle, I would say, because almost all private VPNs cease to work or become extremely unstable recently. So many people have to rely on paid cloud VPS, but it also at the same time requires actual money and technological expertise, which are, of course, biased against the working class users. In addition, in response to coronavirus, uh, several Chinese AI companies have developed sophisticated recognition software that could identify human faces wearing masks, which I think is a bad news for anonymous protests everywhere, because the government is more than willing to export these technologies to other countries. So this is perhaps also one reason we urgently need more solidarity across borders. Hi, I'm Jacob from a Friday Rave, and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station and, in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with working bees, door knocks, on-air drives and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now we need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au or phone us at the station on 9419 8377 or even stop me on the bloody street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe. It is 26 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. That um, interview that you heard was Zoe Zhao um, speaking about the anti-capitalist, excuse me, an anti-imperialist movement um, across China. And, of course, the state of the women's movement there. Don't forget that it is International Women's Day. Um, although the big um, Melbourne rally has been and gone, um, there are still many events that you should try to get to to support the, the ongoing struggle of women right across the world for uh, emancipation, liberation. That's, that's right, and equality. That's exactly right. And But there is something else happening on uh, this Sunday, tomorrow, at 1pm at the State Library, the Bercy uh, Organisation, which is a pro-democracy human rights organisation in, um, in Malaysia, but it's got overseas arms all around the world, are having a uh, rally um, against, the, I would say, the shenanigans of, in Malaysia in the, at the political level. The absolutely 100%... Uh, predictable shenanigans in Malaysia. I do want to say in the closing minutes of the show... No, I won't say it. No. But but we did produce an interview not that long ago that we called Malaysia's amnesia, particularly when um, we saw that the opposition forces allowed Mahathir in as the leader of the opposition and took out um, that election. We said back then that this uh, would not provide long-term... Um, space for the democracy movement there. That's right. Um, and if people are wondering why, well, Malaysia's got, Mahathir's got a very long history of uh, repression of labour activists and human rights. But anyway, if you want to know more, um, get to um, the 1pm State Library 
uh, tomorrow um, for the Bercy Rally. But that's really all that we've got uh, time for you. I think we're actually going to uh, finish um, on time this time. For uh, a change. That, and uh, I think that Palestine Remembered will be ever so grateful to us for that. That's right. That's right. So that's all from us. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. We'll be back again next um, next Saturday morning. But keep listening to 3CR Radio and to the Palestine Remembered uh, program coming up straight after this community announcement. But that's all from me, Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hannah.